Well, I'm going to open up tonight with a little true or false quiz. You don't have to answer these questions out loud. Uh, just answer them in your, uh, in, your, in your head. Number one, true or false? I like laughter better than crying. Number two, I like weddings better than funerals. Number three, I like thinking of my birthday better than my dying day. Number four, I like compliments better than criticisms. Number five, I like shortcuts better than the long way around. Maybe that's why I don't look like Alex tonight. <laughs> Number six, I like the good old days better than the way things are now. Don't answer, but how did you do? If you were sitting in the classroom of Dr. Solomon and you answered any of the, those statements with a true, he would count your answer wrong. The response to all of these statements, according to Solomon's wisdom, should be false. To his way of thinking, crying, Funerals, reflections upon death, criticisms, the long way, and the nasty now and now are better than laughter, weddings, birthdays, compliments, shortcuts, and the sweet by and by. Now, what we're about to look at would be considered by some, and maybe even some here tonight, a pretty bitter pill to swallow. But sometimes the truth is the medicine that tastes the worst does the best for you. And so what we're going to do is we're going we're to look at the first 10 verses in this, uh, in this message, the first 10 verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And I'm actually just going to preach the first part of the message tonight, um, and then I'll preach the second part the next time we're together, uh, which will actually be January the 8th next year. So uh, we'll, we'll finish it next year. But it's, it's too long to do all at once, and uh, so we'll probably get out a little early tonight. Anybody opposed to that? I didn't think so. Okay, which one of those Prater boys said that? Because we, oh, okay. All right, I thought he said, thought he said, yay. All right, hey, it's like an auction land, and don't say anything unless you want to buy it, buddy. You almost bought everybody here another 15 minutes tonight. <laughs> but we'll, uh, we'll dive into this tonight. The first consideration, and all of this will make sense, I hope, as we get into it. The first consideration that Solomon offers us 
is that, number one, burial is better than birth. Burial is better, more profitable than birth. Look at verse 1, chapter 7. Oh, I better get over there. I'm in, still in the New Testament. I'm sorry. Chapter 7, verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Solomon says that death, that burial is better than birth. In that one verse, Solomon points out the two most prominent days in our lives. That is the day we're born, and that is the day we die. On the day we're born, we take the name, we get the name that our parents give us. Like it or not, we take the name our parents give us. But church, the day we die, we get the name that we have earned for ourselves. So live well. What happens between the day we're born and the day we're buried will determine whether our name leaves a fragrant smell, which Solomon used the, the phrase precious ointment, whether our name leaves a fragrant smell or whether it leaves a foul stench. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 7 says that the memory of the just is blessed. But the name of the wicked shall rot. Look at it again. The, the memory of the just is blessed. But the name of the wicked shall rot. I want to share a couple examples with you from the New Testament of that very thing. Judas is a good example of a rotten name. Would you agree with me? It's, it's, a, it's a great example. As a matter of fact, Matthew said this in, in Matthew 26 and verse 24. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him. But woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed it had been good for that man the one who betrayed Jesus if he had not been born to this day the name Judas is associated with nothing but backstabbing betrayal well he's nothing but a Judas what does that mean it means he's a backstabber he, he, he's, he's disloyal. He's out to betray you. And so on the one end, we have Judas and, and the foul stench of his name. But on the, other, on the other hand, we have Mary of Bethany, who anointed the Lord with expensive perfume, and, and the fragrance was said to have filled the room. 
And here's what Jesus said about her. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of her for a, or shall be spoken of for a memorial unto her. So on the one hand, you have Judas, whose name is a, it leaves a foul stench. But yet on the other hand, you have the fragrant smell of the testimony of Mary. So it certainly is true that the memory of the just is blessed. But the name of the wicked shall rot. All of you have been to the to the graveyard, you've been to the cemetery, you've been to enough funerals in your life that you understand that we mark a person's lifespan as something like this, 1960-2030, or whatever. 1940 to 1990, I don't know. But it's the date they were born dash the date they died. And... I think using a dash is appropriate because a lot of you are going to agree with me on this right now because that's what life seems like. It's a dash. I mean, it's just yesterday we were remembering this and now here we are 20, 30, 40 years later and it's, and it's like we, we, we ask ourselves, where has time gone? I mean, James had it right when he said, for what is your life? He said, it is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. So church, understand this tonight, that it's what we do in the dash, that time between our birth and our burial that determines whether or not the day of our death is better than the day of our birth. May we live a life that leaves a godly legacy to our family. May we live a life that at the end of our life, people are saying things like, man, we're going to miss him. We're sure going to miss her. They, they made such a difference in our family. They made such a difference in our church. They made such a difference in our community. Listen, listen, I've been to funerals where you could say one or the other. Huh? Man, he was a scoundrel. He was a cheat. He was a crook. He was a this, he was a that. But then I've been to funerals, like I just said, where it's like, man, this city's going to miss him. His family's going to miss him. His church is going to miss him. And may that be our legacy. May that be our testimony. May we be far more uh, spoken of at our death than we were at our, at our birth. Let's go on, verse 2. Because Solomon makes another point. Mourning is better than merriment. 
Look at verse 2. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end, speaking of death, that is the end of all men. And the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. But the heart of fools is in the house of myrrh. Now, reading just those first four verses, you, you get the idea that maybe Solomon has, has, has become an old, cynical, grouchy, no-fun, stick-in-the-mud kind of guy. But let's not take that away from these passages because there are plenty of other writings of Solomon that, that show something different. For example, Proverbs 15, 13, Solomon said this, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. Two verses later, he said, He that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. In chapter 17 of Proverbs, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. We've already studied chapter 3, but back there Solomon said there is a time to laugh. There is a time for mirth. There's a time for merriment. There's a time for, for, for living it up. Three times in Ecclesiastes, he encourages us to enjoy certain things. And so Solomon is not opposed to singing. He's not opposed to, to laughter. He's not opposed to having a good time. But he's realistic enough to know that little is learned about life during those moments of our lives. I mean, when we're laughing and, 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 and living it up and enjoying life, we're not really very reflective. We're not really uh, thinking very deep about things. We're just, we're just living life. We're loving life. It's great. And there's nothing wrong with that. But Solomon says those are not the most advantageous times. It's in times of sorrow and times of sadness that God chooses to teach us life's most valuable lessons. For example, when we go to a funeral, that's really probably about the only time we give any thought to death. I'm not going to... When I'm, when I'm laughing and having a good time playing with my grandsons, I'm not thinking about dying. But when I go to a funeral, it's like, it's going to be me one day. You with me? <clears throat> Hudson Taylor, founder of the China Inland Mission, once said this, he said, the great enemy is always ready with his oft-repeated suggestion. All these things are against me. But oh, how false the word. The cold and even the hunger, the watchings and sleeplessness of nights of danger, 
and the feeling at times of utter isolation and helplessness were well and wisely chosen and tenderly and lovingly meted out. And then he said, what circumstances could have rendered the word of God sweeter, the presence of God more real, the help of God more precious? Talking about the, the difficult times of life, the, the valleys of life and the wildernesses of life and the storms of life. Look what he said. He said, what circumstances could have rendered the word of God sweeter? Listen, it's those hard times in our life when we come to really cherish the word of God and embrace the promises of the word of God. And he said, the presence of God, more real. We've been preaching on Sunday mornings, Emmanuel, God with us. Talking about how God is with us in those hard and difficult times of life. I'm going to be honest, those are not things we think about when, when life's good. It's the difficulties that drive us to the Word of God and, and to come to cherish the presence of God. And to enjoy the help of God. This is not original with me, and I don't know who said it, but they say character is forged in the furnace of adversity. Character is forged in the furnace of adversity. I don't know about you, but but I've had days when I thought I was living out an audition for to be the poster child for Murphy's Law. Huh? What can go wrong will go wrong. Tuesday morning was one of those days. I walked in the office at about 10.30, maybe closer to 11. I looked at Lindsay and I said, it's been one of those days. Already. Katie backs out of the garage, texts me, said, hey, we shut the garage door, it didn't go down. I don't have time to go back and close it. So I walk out there, I push the button, boom! Garage door just breaks. And then you got to get on the phone, and you got to call, and you got somebody to come fix it, and then you don't trust who's going to come fix it, so you stay home. Say, who was going to come fix it? I don't know, but I wasn't trusting them to be there alone. Katie was gone. So, you know, some days it's just like that. It's just like, hey, I'll, 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 I'll be the poster child today because nothing is going right. And it's times like that that you begin to think that, that the way life is set up, it's just to make you miserable. That everything God has planned for me that day was to make me absolutely miserable. But church, how untrue is that? It's never God's intent to make us miserable. That's not the end result of the things that God allows to come into our life. It's not to wreck us and to ruin us and to make us miserable. Can I just share some verses with you real quick that, that I know you're already familiar with? 
but I like what Peter said when he, when he said, I, I keep reminding you of these things because it's good for you. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, look at this, after that ye have suffered a while. Ah! <laughs> who does that? God does. After you've suffered a while, make you perfect. Word means complete, it means mature. Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. So the end result of, of that, that time of suffering is good. God's desire, again, is not to wreck us, it's not to ruin us. God's desire is good. It is to make us perfect, establish, strengthen, settle. And I know I've used this next verse a lot over the last couple of weeks, but indulge me tonight. I want to use it again. I want to, I want to use the verse after it uh, as well. Wherein ye great rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold. That word means various. Uh, you mechanics, you can picture a manifold. It's got all these things coming off of it. That's, that's, that, that's that word, through manifold temptations. There's one here, and there's one here, and there's one here, and there's one here. That word temptations there is not like an inducement to do evil. It's a time of testing. It's a time of trying, which Peter points out in the next verse, verse 7. He said, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Go ahead to the next. Is, do I got the next verse in there? Come on, Tammy. Oh, man. No, it's my bad. Let me read it to you. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. That wasn't Tammy's fault, that was mine. But again, the truth is the same. God has a purpose, and that's the point that, that, that Solomon is trying to, to, to make in this, that those times that, that make us mourn and, and, and those times that we struggle and are sad, he said there's value in those times. We need to learn from those times. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, Paul said, For our light affliction. You say, well, what do you mean light affliction? Well, Go to 1 Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 11, the end of, uh, first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and read about the things that Paul dealt with. And then look at what you've had to deal with. And really it is light affliction. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, Say, preacher, a moment, this has been days, it's been weeks, months, years, but yeah, it's just a moment compared to eternity. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh against us. Is that what it says? No, worketh what, church? For us, 
Circle that in your Bible. Underline that. Turn over there and, and make note of that. Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And in James chapter 1, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers. That, that, that word means various or varied, varied kinds of temptations. Again, that's not inducements to sin. That is trials, tribulation, difficult times. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. When I walked into the office, you know what I had to learn Tuesday morning? It was just a little lesson in patience. I, I, I didn't have time for that nonsense. Can you relate to that? I don't have time for this nonsense. I've got stuff to do. What was God doing? Well, for one thing, he was trying my patience, teaching me to be patient. Because me being angry and mad wasn't going to hustle up anybody. Girl answered the phone, had to take her kids to daycare, then she had to go pick up her boss, and then they had to come and look at it, then they had to go back and get the part, then they had to come back and fix it, they had to go back and get another part, had to come back and fix it. What was that doing? He was teaching me patience. And me getting angry at them was not going to change anything. I tried to, but no. Romans chapter 5, and not only so, look at this, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. So why in the world would Paul say it's better to, to go through a, a time of mourning and a time of suffering and a hard time? Why is that better than, than going to a party? Because at a party, you're not going to learn anything about patience or experience or hope. And I'm glad that life's not one big funeral, amen? I'm glad that it's not one one 24-hour period of nothing but heartache and heartbreak and sorrow and suffering. I'm glad there are, are, uh, that, that our life is punctuated with times of laughter and merriment and joy and celebration. I'm, I'm thankful for that. But church, we also need to be thankful for those times that cause us to stop and reflect upon who God is and what He can do in our life. Because God's purpose is to use the difficult things that come into our lives to mature us and to make us better Christians. How many of you remember the, the little devotional book with Our Daily Bread? Remember that? There's an old story in one of those old uh, Our Daily Bread uh, that illustrates God's desire in a practical way. Let me share it with you. During World War II, a man in Sussex, England sent some money to an organization known as the Scripture Gift Mission. He enclosed a letter saying that he longed to give more, but the harvest on his farm had been very disappointing because of a lack of water. He was also fearful because German bombs were being dropped in the area and his family and farm were at risk. 
He was praying that no German bombs would fall fall on his land. So the man sent a small gift, a small contribution to the Scripture gift mission, and with the enclosed note, he asked the workers of Scripture gift mission to pray that no bombs would fall on his land. Mr. Ashley Baker wrote back from the mission and said that that while that exact prayer, or excuse me, said that while he didn't feel led to pray that exact prayer, he had prayed that God's will for their lives in this matter would prevail. Shortly after, a huge German missile crashed down on the man's farm. None of his family or livestock were harmed. But the bombshell went so far into the ground that it liberated a submerged stream. The spring continued to flow and yielded enough water to irrigate the man's farm as well as neighboring farms. The next year, due to a bountiful harvest, the man was able to send a large offering to the mission. (laughs) So let me ask you tonight. Has God ever dropped a bomb in your life? You know what I'm talking about? Talking about something traumatic. Something so devastating. Something so earth-shaking that there seemed to be no possible way for any good to come from it. I'm guessing we've all probably been there. Maybe, maybe some of the younger ones haven't. Do you know what I'm talking about tonight? When it comes like a bomb. I mean, it comes from nowhere. And for the longest time, we can't see anything but devastation. And then, somewhere along the way, something good happens. That's the way God is. And we need to praise Him for that tonight. And we need to thank Him for that tonight. Maybe you're still trying to clear away all the dust and the smoke and the debris from some bomb that's gone off in your life and and you were nowhere prepared for it, in no way prepared for it. I'm going to encourage you to pray. Just ask the Lord, show me. God, if you don't do it today or tomorrow or this year, at some point, please show me. But until then, I'm going to trust you that you've got, you've got a plan here. There's going to be something good come from this. And so, Lord, I'm going to trust you. 